Hey friends, welcome to the Next Step Leadership Podcast, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step. I'm Tracy Reynolds, and my partner for the Next Step journey is Chris Maxwell. Together we hope to inspire, assist, and create the confidence you need to take your next step in your personal growth, spiritual growth, vocation, or even your calling. Thanks for joining us. Well, come on, let's dive into this week's episode of Next Step Leadership. Welcome again to Next Step Leadership. Chris Maxwell and Tracy Reynolds um, having conversations, something we love to do. And uh, we love to have conversations with people, uh, some that we know well, some that we're getting to know, but people uh, that we can learn from. Um, So Tracy, uh, what about uh, today's conversation? There's so many ways we could describe and introduce Phil Cook, and I don't want to take a bunch of our time. If you know much at all about broadcast media, about print media, you've run across him, probably. Uh, Phil, welcome to Next Step Leadership. We appreciate you taking some time and carving it out on the West Coast to be with us on the East Coast. I am honored. I'm a little early. I'm a little hoarse, but uh, I'll I'll perk up in a little bit. I've had the coffee, so I'm ready to go. (laughs) Good deal. Well, you have done a lot of work being a creative. Uh, one of the things that caught my attention quickly about you is your passion now in life to help creatives get more creative and how to, to, how to best kindle that. And uh, I, I've been a planner kind of guy, and I was looking at your unique uh, resource for just it, – it's a planner for you for creatives. Yeah. And I consider myself somewhat creative, and my son and my daughter are hyper-creative. So, man, tell us a little bit about that, and, and let's get into the whole idea of how did you get involved in this thing and, and why this is important to you. Well, my dad was a pastor. I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was a preacher's kid. I probably mowed the cemetery 10,000 times, <laughs> filled a million communion cups growing up. That was my job. And, um, I, you know, it's funny. I never once had a felt a calling to become a pastor, but I've always worked behind the scenes. <clears throat> People thought we had fantastic chimes big bells in our steeple, but it was really me climbing up into the steeple every day at 6 p.m. and putting on a 33 RPM record to play through the speakers. And um, so I've always seen the world behind the scenes, and I've always, I would go to, you know, back in those days in the the 60s and 70s, um, I'd go to school, and pastors were really big on trying to encourage growth. And they would say, look, if you bring enough kids to the youth group this weekend, I'll shave my head. Or if you, you know, one pastor I remember <laughs> sat on a big two-story high pole for a week until he could get enough people to come to church. Just really crazy stuff. And th- their hearts were right. They were committed and they were trying to do the best they could. But I'd go to school and kids would say, Phil, why does pastor so-and-so do such, such stupid things? And I, I don't get that. And so early on, I started realizing the way the world perceives us as the church and as leaders is very often completely different from the way we perceive ourselves. And so that kind of set me off into this passion about how do we engage the culture well? How do we present the gospel in a way that really engages with people instead of drives them away or turns them off? I'm I'm convinced that there's a number of well-meaning pastors, evangelists, and TV personalities over the years that have driven off far more people from the gospel than have actually brought into the gospel. So um, that's and so I, I went the media route. I decided, okay, I think we could do a better job in the way we express ourselves, particularly in today's digital culture. Back then, we were still analog, but I got involved. I went to college and majored in television and film, and I just had an ongoing passion to really help the church 
engage the culture using these tools that we had done a little bit. You know, guys like Billy Graham, Oral Roberts, Fulton Sheen on the Catholic side had used broadcast media, radio and TV for years, but we just weren't doing it well. And so I I don't mean to be so long-winded about it, but I just it launched me out in this whole career of trying to help churches, pastors, leaders express themselves and engage with a more powerful message in this media-driven culture we live in. Well, as you dove into that, uh, being motivated with that desire, what what has happened through the years as you've continued pursuing this journey? Well, you know, I was in the Midwest. I went to college in the Midwest. I was working out there for a number of years. And uh, at 36 years old, I got fired. And, um, you know, I'm a great example of sometimes being fired is the best thing that ever could possibly happen. And that's what really, you know, I knew the, I knew, I really felt God calling us to Hollywood, come to LA, but I'm the king of rationalization. I, I, you know, okay, yeah, but we've got a great school for our kids. We've got a great church. Our friends are here. Maybe I could commute. I could do the LA thing, but maybe I could fly back and forth. I remember Disney called me to do a, a movie trailer for one of their big, big movies at the time. And I did seven round trips in two weeks from the wow. Midwest to LA. And I thought, what am I thinking? You know, this is never going to work. This is before the internet. And so, um, I realized that something was going to happen. So out of the blue, I got fired and being fired actually set me up for severance pay, which was enough to pay for us to move our family to Los Angeles. And so in many ways, it was the best thing that ever happened. I look back and realize God fired me. You know, that guy didn't fire me. God fired me because <laughs> I, I just wouldn't move. And um, so I've learned to be a little more sensitive to his leading since then. And uh, but we came out here, we launched our company, Cook Media Group. And, um, you know, we do two things. Primarily, we produce projects ourselves. We were working on a documentary we filmed in the island of Malta just a, a month or so ago. And um, so we're constantly, right before the pandemic, we did a big, epic kind of a feature documentary on the rise of Christianity in Asia. And we filmed in India, Mongolia, China, South Korea, Japan. So we're doing a lot of our own creative, original production. But at the same time, we do a lot of consulting. We work with churches and ministries and nonprofits, big organizations sometimes like the Salvation Army, the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., mm. and local churches, just helping them use media more effectively. You know, almost... Every church in America today has a television studio. Technology, the price has gone down so much that so many churches are able to engage. And that was a really big deal during the the pandemic. I thought we'd be out of business. But boy, when that pandemic shutdown happened, we were flooded with calls from pastors and ministry organizations trying to figure out how do we engage? How do we keep connected to our congregation during this? So I've probably been busier in the last few years than I have been in 10 years before that. Wow. You know, one of the first things I noticed on your website, Phil, is just under your name, it says, Creating Influence, Inspiring Change. Yeah. I'm intrigued by that. Unpack that a bit for us. Huh? Well, Why did you choose that? Influence matters. We all have influence. You, you may be listening and you right. may be a grandma. Uh, you may be a housewife. <clears throat> Excuse me. You may be unemployed. But in every role that we have, we have influence out there. And the question is, is it good? Is it bad? And in today's world where we have this digital media thing out there. I mean, some research indicates people see 10,000 media messages every single day. Uh, I saw a study recently that we touch our phone more than 250 times a day. Um, In that world, how do we break through? You know, it's not the best message that wins anymore. It's the message that knows how to cut through all that clutter. If you really feel like God's called you to do something significant with your life, 
how do we cut through all that clutter and get that message heard? And that's really a great passion of mine, helping to teach people how to do that in this cluttered culture we live in. Well, we certainly appreciate all that you're doing there, Phil. Um, I was thinking about my son when I was checking out, because he's, he's a creative. My daughter's a creative in a, in a different yep. space. One's a visual creative, but the other one's a music creative and a media creative and a website creative. Um, and every week, uh, pastors have to create uh, and compete with all the other things out there. And you're right. We have lighting. We have uh, video. We have audio. We've got stem tracks. We've got all kinds of things going on around us, and we have to find our space. Um, how... Have you been influencing next generation uh, leaders as it relates to creating um, good story and communicating uh, powerful messages? One of the things I'm most passionate about these days is how to lead creative people. Uh, you know, certainly as leaders, we need to be able to get our message out there. We need, need to be able to understand social media, the, the purpose of the web, why that matters. But we also need to lead creative people because you're not going to go up very far before you encounter designers, writers, video people. Um, and, and there's a lot of leadership information, you know, sources like your podcast, John Maxwell. There's a lot of people out there doing great, great stuff with leadership. But there's not that much on how to lead creative people. And they're a little different animal, as you know, with your son and daughter. They're a little bit different animal. It, leading cr the creative team is not like leading the accounting team or leading the marketing team necessarily. And so I think helping leaders understand those kind of principles is really key for me. And I think as I, you know, as I get older, the more I want to focus on that because I, I think today's world, and this is true of church leaders, of business leaders, it doesn't matter. Anytime you're leading people, you're going to have to deal with a logo. You're going to have to deal with a website. You're going to have to deal with business cards and proposals and presentations. There's just so much in our life that's wrapped up around creative stuff that we really need to know how to inspire and motivate the people around us to raise them up to a whole nother level. I think that's a really critical part of leadership today. As I'm thinking about uh, kind of the language of each tribe, uh, you know, this so much of what we do is related to technology, but the common desire is to hear a story. That's true. Uh, you know, what has gone through all of history and in every language is the telling of stories. Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are ways from your perspective we can, can become better at not just the the stat sheets and the images, though we are in an image-driven world, but inviting people to the stories that's a, that will appeal to them. That's a great, great question. And it's interesting, one of the things, because we focus on video so much. We're primarily a video production company, film production company. And so I always tell people, it's funny, I tell people that, look, facts are great. I, you know, if you've fed so many people this month, or you've led so many people to Christ, or you, you've produced so many widgets, whatever, the facts about your organization are great, but... You know, put them on the website, put them in a brochure. When you do a video, for instance, that's not about facts. A video is about emotion. When you produce a video, I, I don't want to know how many people you fed or how many people you transformed, how many lives you transformed. I want to hear the story of one person who was literally transformed because of what you do. That will engage far more people than any amount of facts. I get so many videos sent to me by nonprofits especially that they're just riddled with facts and numbers. I don't care. I don't really care about numbers and facts. I want to see a life that was transformed by what you do. So telling those kind of stories is so much more critical. And one of the things I try to tell pastors and leaders especially, and this would work for business leaders too, is 
just track the people you that, that have been impacted by what you do, whether it's emails they send in to say I was transformed by that message or by that outreach or by your product, whatever it is. Keep track of those people because you want to go back and engage with them, tell their story, get it out there. Those kind of little personal stories can mean so much more, and they're more likely to get people to engage. Just, you know, it, it sounds crass to say you're tugging at people's heartstrings, but you are because emotion matters. Yes, we are. Emotion is really, really important, particularly if you're a nonprofit and looking for donors, if you're looking for funding. You want to tell those kind of powerful, compelling stories, and it will completely transform the way you do ministry. And Jesus did that, didn't he? I oh, mean, yes. he, he was a storyteller, and he responded to questions with questions, and then he moved them into stories. I, I, I told you when when you and I talked at a, at a convention, and we were just having a conversation about uh, how I travel and speak um, for a pharmaceutical company, and and tell my story about living life with epilepsy. Yeah, well, that's the general market, kind of the medical side or the disability or special needs side. Um, and you know, the experts give the facts. Uh, they give the latest statistics. Uh, they give the warning signs. They give uh, medical information. But when I come up and tell my story, it's not because it's me or the power and my ability to tell a story. It is the story. Yeah. And, and and it's not just the percentage of people that are living with epilepsy in our culture. It's like, I'm one of them, and this is what it does. That's powerful. This is how it affects me. Yeah. And we need to we need to learn from that. Well, you know, Jesus probably should have written a manual on church leadership. He should have written a systematic theology book or two. He should have written, you know, <laughs> how to get along with people. But he didn't. All he did was tell stories. If you really look at the New Testament, pretty much all Jesus ever did was tell stories. And very often, you know, he, he, he would let people, he, he didn't even interpret his own stories. He would tell That's a story right. yeah. and he didn't, and this is, this is my word to pastors. You don't have to feel compelled to explain everything. You know, the power of a story is that you drop this story on people and it, they may get it right then. They may get it the next day. They may get it a week from now, but it's like a hand grenade. You know, it goes off in unexpected times in people's brain. And when that happens, when they come to the conclusion of what it means, mm -hmm. it's so much more powerful than when you explain what it means. So Jesus was a master at that. He would tell a story and not feel, you know, occasionally he would explain it to his disciples who didn't get it privately because they were a little bit, sometimes they just really didn't get it. But uh, <laughs> very often he would just tell stories and, and uh, let people come up with their own conclusions. And I think that's an amazing thing. But, but, you know, today, pastors don't risk that. We're terrified that people won't get it. So we feel compelled to explain mm -hmm. everything. And when you explain everything, it kind of undercuts the power of the story. So, yeah. you know, the, just trusting that story like you do when you're speaking about epilepsy, just trusting the power of the story is an amazing thing. And then following that up or even leading with uh, the right kind of questions. Yes. You know, uh, kind of inducting. And what, what I love about story among the the things that inspire oftentimes it's it's the it's the struggle yes it's the it's the the weakness when i allow someone to see the weak part of me i get many many more con much more meaningful contact much more understanding because people can relate to my weakness oftentimes much more than my strength or yeah. my successes i think one of the great failures of christian movies for instance is we don't have that kind of conflict in them uh, mm -hmm. filmmakers, Christians of all kinds, writers, uh, we're, we're afraid of conflict. We feel like we're not supposed to have a whole lot of conflict in there because it needs to have a positive ending. But the truth is, you know, where would Luke Skywalker be without Darth Vader? 
uh, we have to have yeah. conflict. And the, the more conflict, the more it ratchets up the victory. So the idea of trying to tell a story without having a negative part or uh, a conflict mm-hmm. is it just really, really does not work. And in fact, I have a friend who's a, 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 a cr- very strong Christian here in Hollywood, and he, he directs horror movies. And he, he, you know, his theory is, hey, he's got a whole theology of why Christians should be making horror movies. He said, you know, that you know who's the good guy, you know who's the bad guy. There's not these gray areas like there are in most movies these days. It's very clear from a moral perspective. The bad guy always gets what's coming to him. So he said, you know, the moral universe of a horror movie is actually pretty clear, and uh, it's hard to argue with, except for all the blood and guts in between. But uh, it is funny that, that we need to understand if we can, you know, Jesus' death on the cross was a horrible, horrible, tragic, violent experience. And, and you can't just soften that. It, it was horrible. Right. And if God didn't withhold that in order to tell us the story of our deliverance and redemption, who are we to hold back the conflict and the, the tragedy that happens in people's lives when we tell our story? So I think one of the things, if you're listening and you're, you're a storyteller of any kind, one of the things I hope you walk away with is don't avoid the conflict. That's the most powerful mm-hmm. part of the story. And that's what really turns the tables. The other piece that I, I'm thinking to Phil, that you alluded to earlier is to not always try to resolve it. Yes. To somehow, you mentioned trying to explain it, but to sometimes the most positive uh, outcomes come when I don't yes. try to re- resolve it and, and, and wrap it all up neatly and tie it away. Well, you still have, you know, we still have people with epilepsy out there. Um, we still have people that didn't mm. overcome that alcoholism. We still have people that yeah. struggle every day with porn or with drug addiction or whatever. Um, life is messy. Life is incredibly messy. Yes. And so often we try to do movies or write books or tell stories that are just have such a ha- sweet, happy ending. And I love happy mm. endings, but right. there's, mm-hmm. it doesn't always happen that way. And so I think the most authentic stories out there in many ways are the stories that kind of leave things open and just indicate mm. that, you know, life life goes on and life is not as clean and tied up in a bow as we think. I wonder why we're so reluctant to include the scars and the limps and the bruises. I think for good reason. I think we really want to try to convince people that Christianity is, is the best option out there. Um, I think that, you know, I think we want to present Christianity as the best way to make sense of the mm-hmm. world. And so I think we fear that to leave things a little messy, to leave things a little open, will will we'll scare them off or not convince them to come over to our side. But the truth is, people get authenticity. They get reality. They yes. understand it. And they can sense when you're telling a cheesy story or you're telling a story that just doesn't, that, that, that wraps things up too neatly. They understand that. So mm-hmm. I think your chances actually of witnessing to people and sharing the gospel with people is better when we actually tell the truth, when we actually show them that life doesn't always, you know, this side of heaven, we're not going to be perfect. And so I think being more authentic really makes a difference. Mm. Mm. Good stuff. Yeah, we're desperate for that. Well, uh, Phil, I just appreciate you. I appreciate who you are and what you're doing. You're making a positive impact and, and, um, We'll end this uh, this episode and and interview you again for uh, another podcast and go even deeper with some of your thoughts and 
your writing and your perspective because you bring so much wisdom. And I love that. You're bringing wisdom, but in a creative, artistic way. And mm-hmm. instead of having to pick which of these two worlds are we going to use, the wise side or the creative side, you merge those together. And I believe that's needed. Uh, it's needed in our culture and in our hearts. Uh, so thanks again, man. It's, it's, it's great to uh, just spend this time with you as we're all looking for ways to make our next steps our best steps. Always honored to be with you guys. Thanks for joining us on Next Step Leadership, the weekly conversation dedicated to your personal growth and leadership development. Chris and I are so glad you dropped in. You can find us on all your favorite podcast providers. Do us a favor and hit subscribe. And if you really want to help us, give us a rating. We so appreciate your support. Check out our show notes for more information regarding guest contact information. Chris Maxwell's 11th book, Equilibrium, 31 Ways to Stay Balanced on Life's Uneven Surfaces, is available now at www.chrismaxwell.me or Amazon, where you can find all of Chris's previous books as well. Our featured music is by Casual Americans. You can find their new musical releases at www.casualamericans.com or at your favorite music suppliers. We release Next Steps Leadership each Thursday, so join us again next week on the Next Step Journey, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step.